0: In an interview with the Wall Street Journal last year, Detria Williamson, former chief marketing officer of IDEO, said that diversity can be engineered and inclusion cannot. In this episode, we're gonna dive deeper into that statement and also ask Detria
1: what roadblocks she's encountered over the course of her career. From working as a head of marketing in Dubai to her most recent role at IDEO. We also ask her what it means for design to become commoditized and how remote and hybrid work
0: impact inclusivity. If you're looking to raise the collaborative intelligence of your organization through more inclusive practices, this episode is for you. Thanks for listening.
1: As a Design Better listener, we think you'll enjoy Tools and Weapons. It's a podcast hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President, Brad Smith. Brad's conversations with leaders at the intersection of the promise and perils of the digital age touch on some fascinating topics, like the new AI economy and how AI is becoming a tool in the battle against hunger. On a recent episode, Brad was taken to Venice, Italy, where he connected with Yves Ubelmanhoff of Iconum. It's a startup that specializes in 3D digitization of endangered cultural heritage sites. During the relative quiet of the pandemic, Eve and his team used drone capture photography and some powerful AI tools to create a full-scale digital twin of Venice, a city threatened by climate change and over-tourism. How cool is that? On Tools and Weapons, Eve tells Brad how he's using this incredible technology to help preserve some of the world's most endangered cultural heritage sites in pristine detail so they can be studied and appreciated for generations to come. To stay current on some of the most innovative people working with AI today, you should subscribe to Tools and
0: Weapons with Brad Smith, wherever
1: finer podcasts are served.
0: Dietria Williamson, welcome to the Design Better podcast.
2: I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, we're really excited to have you. And you just started a pretty big role at IDEO. Can you tell us what you're up to there?
2: Sure. Well, first, again, just thanks so much for having me here. Really excited to be here and just sharing the story about the power of design, which is actually a big part of my role. So I started not too long ago, almost eight months ago, as chief marketing officer for IDEO. And I'm ultimately there to make sure that we are open, available, accessible to do more powerful design work through the world.
1: So, Dietra, you've been at this in the design world for some time now, and I'm curious if you could just talk to us a little bit about your career arc. Maybe not all the details, because people, I'm sure, will look you up on LinkedIn and so forth. But along the way, did you encounter like roadblocks in the course of your career where you, you know, needed to find a path forward?
2: Yeah, I mean, actually, so first, I come from just very humble beginnings. You know, I'm first generation to go to college. I'm, I say, a successful single executive mom. But as you can imagine, that came with its own challenges. But I would say, you know, being chief marketing officer for one of the most prolific design companies in the world. I'm actually even myself a scrappy designer. It's one of the things that attracted me to IDEO was that I think by the time I learned and was sort of, I would say, let in to this kind of secret society, if you will, which is what I think design has been, I learned its power. And that was as a marketer on the client side. So I would say one of the stumbling blocks that I've had in my career was actually just not having access to some of the most powerful tools. And one of those was certainly design.
1: And was there a point where you realized design was so central to business, to your work, to your career, and you started to investigate that more closely?
2: I did. It was when I first attended as a client my first sort of design thinking workshop. And I said, oh my gosh, this is, you know, it's almost like a kid that sees a bowl of raw cookie dough. You know, I thought this is the secret. And I just saw its power. I would say I was kind of first in design as what we might call a non-traditional design services buyer. You know, I was purchasing services to sort of design for really critical problems as opposed to just purchasing a design service to kind of pretty something up or just to kick it off with the workshop as kind of the way in, I really started to feel the power of design as the way through. And my background as a marketer sort of spans several different industries from travel and luxury to hospitality to entertainment I've also worked at Accenture and design has really been that safety net that I've I've used throughout my career It's really been the through line as I solve really critical problems really as a digital marketing expert I would say.
0: Peria what are some of the ways that you've been able to get your non-designer colleagues? more invested in the power of design, whether they're, you know, developers or, or even other marketers that maybe don't understand it the way that you do?
2: You know, I would say that this used to be harder, but not now, particularly coming out of the pandemic, which hopefully we're coming out of the pandemic. We've all experienced some sort of pain and it's been different. That pain has either been felt at the talent level it's been felt at the growth level. In some cases, people have felt that at the diversity and inclusion level. I would say that that's not as hard now as it was in the past. You know, in the past, people really came to design, I would say, for more sort of conventional problem solving. And now we're really seeing all sorts of shifts. We're seeing a shift in customer demand. People are kind of moving from this, I need a design solution for this product to really, I have a business problem or a market opportunity and how can design actually help me get through the right outcome? And coming out of the pandemic, you add quickly to that. We're also seeing, I would say, a lot of shifts in buyer behavior. So traditionally in the past, the design buyer has been the CEO, you know, the CEO has really held the full agenda. And now what's exciting is you're seeing, as I was mentioning before, you're seeing the chief technology officer or the chief marketing officer in my case. So I would actually say it's more about making sure that the budget is there as opposed to really educating people on the power of design. I think people are starting to understand the power of design. Now it's about how do I mobilize the resource for that? And that resource could be people and that resource could be budget.
1: You spoke a little bit there about diversity and inclusion. I know it's a topic that you're particularly passionate about. And you've spent a a fair bit of time thinking about brands and how they can present an inclusive brand. Could you talk to us about the elements of an inclusive brand? How does a company go about shaping that and bringing more people into their world?
2: You know, I've lived many parts of the world. I grew up overseas. So first, I would say that it's really part of my backbone. I think at a time right now where there's diversity politics, it's trendy. I often advise leaders that, you know, diversity can be engineered, but inclusion and a sense of belonging cannot. And that to me is what's critical, is really ensuring that you have radically inclusive leaders. And I actually think finding radically inclusive leaders, there's no discrimination against that, that can you know, be men, women, a variety of sexual orientation that can come across different ethnicities, but i think what's critical is ensuring that you have radically inclusive leaders that is the way that we're going to get there so that i would say is first is making sure that you hire in that way i also designed a tool called icx inclusive customer experience which is really about creating this bridge so We all know that we have to work on our culture. We all know that we can do better from a diversity standpoint. And any company or brand that feels like they've ever sort of made it or arrived, then they're not doing the right thing is what I would say. Really, if you ensure that you have this human and community-centric basis or foundation at sort of the core of what you're doing, which design ensures that you do, Ultimately, it ensures that you're constantly on the prowl for what I would say is an inclusive customer experience end-to-end because hiring our way through is not the only way that we can are going to be able to solve for this. We need to make sure that we design for an end-to-end inclusive customer experience or client experience.
1: A couple of follow-up questions there. What does it mean to be radically inclusive as a leader?
2: I think... Radical inclusive leaders, you know, don't have to be told, for example, that hiring a diverse team is important because it's part of their makeup. I think radically inclusive leaders are not forced to, you know, sort of seek out people of difference. They embrace it. They cherish it. They demand it. Those are radically inclusive leaders. Those aren't really things that you can be Taught, in my opinion.
1: Are there companies that you've seen who have built a brand that really embody this idea of inclusivity? You talked about diversity can be engineered. And I think what you mean by that is like, we could hire a variety of people from different backgrounds and perspectives, but inclusivity is really about action. Are there companies who have figured that out and maybe could serve as examples for listeners?
2: I don't know that I would actually say there's any one company that has figured it out because I think as a society, we're constantly evolving. So it goes back to that notion that you never quite reach the promised land. But I think there's some companies that are doing a good job. So one company that comes to mind is actually Microsoft. I think Microsoft has really... Stood in and stood for making some drastic changes. They've been humble, they've been public about it. But I'm sure if you were to talk to people at Microsoft, I'm sure many would say, We can do better and we can go further. And that's the right attitude to not sort of celebrate that you've made it. And I think those who are inclusive along the way, those are the brands that are doing the best, that are really not out there just trying to engineer diversity. I myself, I was abroad, I was in the Middle East for many years, and I could not believe that after being away for 10 years, a decade, I came back and we were dealing with the same questions and problems and challenges. And I I really think that that is because of all or many companies sort of chasing diversity But I think when you really go for inclusion and belonging, that's when you start to see retention, that's when you start to see innovation, that's when you start to see heightened creativity. I myself have won a lot of awards, and I I always tell people the secret sauce to that was having an incredibly diverse and inclusive team that everyone felt a part, everyone felt heard, everyone felt valued. Everyone felt respected. I didn't learn that in college. There was no course on that. That comes through exposure. That comes through having great leaders. And that comes from, I think, having this value and this sense of purpose around inclusion. So I wouldn't say that there are any companies that have made it or are perfect. But I think Microsoft has come a long way. They're a brand, I would say, to be celebrated, for sure.
1: It's a fascinating example because I think anyone who's been in the tech space, not even as, as a professional, but just as a user for a few years, will remember that Microsoft was not that long ago seen as the evil empire. And now they're really seen very differently. They have different leadership. And if anyone is curious about some of the specific design principles and tactics that Microsoft uses, you can Google Microsoft's inclusive design framework and you'll find they've got a great site that's just super thoughtful.
2: Yeah. Microsoft has been a former client. They, I would say, were pioneers in believing in this notion of inclusive customer experience. So they really are a brand, not only that I enjoy like so many of us, but I'm also, I'm proud. I'm proud of them leaning in.
0: You mentioned Growing up overseas, tell us a little bit about that, where you grew up, and then also your work abroad. I, I believe you worked in Dubai for a few years and maybe other places in the Middle East. Tell us about how that influenced how you think about designing and marketing across different cultures.
2: Sure. So I did. I spent most of my childhood in Germany and then moved to Colorado which was and moved to the suburbs in Colorado. So as you can imagine, it was, it was quite homogenous, even coming from Germany. So I then went and studied abroad in Argentina, and then came back, went to university in the U.S., and then quickly went into an international role. So I was head of marketing, international marketing, actually at Discovery Channel. We had global offices peppered throughout the world, so I spent a lot of time in Singapore and Tokyo, parts of Europe, and then, to your point, headed over to the Middle East. And I think what it did do was it exposed me to lots of different approaches. It certainly made me a better manager. I think those that are built to be a better manager honestly have been exposed to different types of people. And that really has been my life, and it's certainly been my career. So when you can pull a lot of different people who have been educated differently, who have had different life experiences, and you bring all of that around a problem, I refer to it as a really good feast. And usually what comes out of that is impact, is innovation, and it's certainly a better way to solve a problem.
1: So as we're thinking about building diversity into our teams, we can hire for diversity, And I know a lot of companies are thinking about that, and they're trying, and they're still just, in many situations, not getting it right. How should we be rebuilding, rethinking, re-engineering our hiring process to have more diverse teams with diverse perspectives that could inform the way that we design?
2: So, you know, first, I'll be honest. I'm not a chief diversity officer. I'm not a chief people officer, although people have tried to pull me into those roles, but that's not my expertise. I think it's a tough job. I think that's a big question that you're asking. Certainly, I would say when it comes to the design industry, as you know, it's so homogenous. I mean, I don't know. Even coming from luxury, coming out of entertainment, I have not seen an industry or experienced an industry that has actually been so homogenous. I will say though, I'm finding great hope. I'm finding great hope because there are programs, you know, for example, there's a school. It's going to be the first design HBCU design school, Pencil. And that's really exciting. There's hope. So I certainly think that if there's any industry that will come through this, it will be design because we, you know, as an industry are human focused. But I myself would go back to, you know, getting back to your question about how, how do we make these shifts? I think we all have to open up to new sorts of talent. You know, I certainly appreciate that every company bet on me from companies that had not had women that were executives, they took a chance on me. When I was at a very large media company, I was the first African-American woman to be in an executive role there. It just takes someone to sort of unlock the possibility and belief in someone. So that's the diversity part. But then once they're there, making sure that they feel included, making sure that they're Ideas are brought forward, are valued, and are cherished, as I mentioned before. And I think that takes a lot of effort when you're working with people that are sometimes different. And I'm not talking about the difference just in terms of color or gender, I'm talking about difference in terms of how we were raised, difference in terms of how we were educated, difference in terms of our life experiences. When you find leaders or managers that see that as a gift, that's where I think we really start to progress forward in a rapid way.
0: So at these points in your career where you said companies may have taken a chance on you, quote unquote, what were the things that helped you, push you in that direction? Did you have mentors that helped along the way? And if there are other folks out there who want to help people like you step into new roles where you may have traditionally been underrepresented, what are the things that those folks could do?
2: I've always had a mentor I still do and I would say one of the prerequisites so I would say this is also advice for those who may feel like they are the one that's different you know whether you're in an interview process or you're already at a company for me it's a prerequisite that it's demonstrated that someone believes in who I authentically am that's really important Because it is hard when you step into organizations and you are different. Just standing in that difference can be hard. So I think it's really important to, as a prerequisite, make sure that that exists when you go into a company, particularly if you feel that you are very different from the way that that company looks. I think that's something that's really important. I think other ways to find mentors You know, thank goodness we have Google because I do think that there's a lot of resource out there and we have to not be afraid to tap into it. As I mentioned, I'm an executive, I'm at the C-level, and I still have a mentor. Certainly, I believe in reverse mentorship. You know, sometimes those mentors are people that are just coming into their careers. The amount that I learned, I would say, from people that may have been 10 roles in terms of earlier in their career, I learned a ton. So opening up to reverse mentorship, you know, maybe mentors are not necessarily always someone that is above you in a role. So I think opening up to different types of mentorship is important. I think seeking out resources that are there and being humble in that. And then I think making it a prerequisite where you go and saying, you know, some companies may not have a formalized mentorship program, or some companies do and you don't know how to unlock it. And ask the question, or if you find someone, hey, I really like something that you said or that you did, would you be willing to mentor me? it really is i think sometimes just standing in bravery and being courageous and in some cases for example in my career at the sea level it's humbling but i still do it would you mind being my mentor
1: <laughs> that's fantastic i love that you know one thing that marketers are so good at is really sensing change before many others see it And that could be a superpower, especially in a role like yours, where you're visiting clients, helping them think about their marketing or brand strategy. And with this lens of diversity and inclusion, I wonder what you see happening in the world with young people, with kind of shift in perspective. I mean, there's certainly been a lot of conversation around inclusion and lack thereof in a global sense over the past year. And the pandemic really accelerated that. How does that shape the conversations you're having with the companies that you're working with?
2: I think it kind of goes back to what I was sharing earlier about how, you know, the most relevant brands and brands that I would say have the most resonance are staying true to and staying close to the communities that they serve. And those communities are shifting. They're shifting because communities, particularly I would say younger generations, are no longer bound necessarily by color, but bound by purpose, whether that's sustainability, whether that is inclusion, whether it's fashion. Those are the things that they are actually bound by. So I think that's great hope because it means that we can take a quicker leap forward in that we're not dealing with certain things that I think have centuries of history that we have to get through. So I would say one of the things that we certainly see and advise on is ensuring that as you design for inclusion, that you ensure that you are also designing for trust. And in order to design for trust, you have to ensure that your purpose is at the heart and that you're clear on what that purpose is. Ensuring that you can be declarative about your purpose. And I don't think you can do that if you're not close to the community that you
1: serve. Support for Design Better comes from Uplift Desk, creators of office furniture designed to help you work better and live healthier. It's been estimated that the average person will spend one third of their life at work. Sobering, huh? That's roughly 90,000 hours at work over your lifetime. Imagine what happens to your body if you're working with bad posture and poor circulation. It can be devastating on your health. That's why Eli and I love Uplift Desk and their ergonomic desks and chairs. Uplift Desk makes solid, well-constructed standing desks that you can customize to match your workspace. And they have a wide variety of incredibly ergonomic chairs. My personal favorite is the Human Scale Freedom Chair. I'm sitting in it right now. For professionals like us, investing in the right tools, especially our desk and chair, is essential. You're going to get free shipping, free returns with free return shipping, and an industry-leading 15-year warranty that covers the complete desk. Eli and I love their products, and we know that you will too. Give it a try. Go to upliftdesk.com and use code DESIGNBETTER5 for 5% off your order. That's U P L I F T. Desk.com to get 5% off your entire order with promo code DESIGNBETTER5. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. When we spoke with Seth Godin on Design Better, he said something very interesting. Everyone's got a noise in their head. You, me, your boss, everyone. That noise in our head is self-doubt, confusion, fear, anxiety, all of that. It's part of the human experience, and it can hold us back. Therapy is one of the best ways to work through it all, to quiet the unproductive noise and develop positive mental health. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and to work with your schedule. BetterHelp can help you get the support that you need. Visit betterhelp.com slash today to get 10% off your first month. That's better, help, H-E-L-P, dot com,
0: slash design better. Support for Design Better comes from our friends at CrashPlan. Visit Better for 50% off your first year of CrashPlan. From my daughter's first birthday to my son's first soccer game, if you're like me, you have thousands of precious family photos that only exist in digital form. That's why I've been using CrashPlan for a decade and a half now to back up all my important files. CrashPlan works efficiently in the background while you work, encrypting and sending all your new or changed files up to their secure cloud server every 15 minutes. And they make it simple to restore some or all of your data. And with unlimited version retention, CrashPlan can also be your ultimate rewind button. Businesses of all sizes benefit from CrashPlan's multi-tenant capabilities. Buy as many user licenses as you need and easily manage them all under one account. Go to CrashPlan.com/slash design better for 50% off your first year of Crash Plan. That's CrashPlan.com slash design better, all one word, for 50% off your first year. Back up better with Crash Plan. So we've obviously experienced a huge shift in the way that people work day to day over the course of the pandemic. And there's a lot more remote work and hybrid work. And how do you see that impacting both the happiness of your employee, the day-to-day happiness, but also the opportunities to have kind of a more inclusive environment if it allows, you know, working moms and dads to, you know, be closer to their kids, that kind of thing.
2: So I would certainly say from a marketing perspective, how I found joy is really connecting with and understanding that this moment has been so difficult and challenging that really there's sort of an act of returning how do we return and making sure that you co-create the conditions for each other together. And thankfully by being at IDEO, we're given the space to do that. From a marketing perspective, we have moved into a fully hybrid model, which is allowing people to make the choice for themselves. And that's where I think the world is. I'm sure you're seeing and finding this in California If you're not giving people the choice or the conditions that they need coming out of this pandemic, they'll go find it somewhere else. I think employees and colleagues and the communities that are working for brands right now, they're really the ones that are in control. It's no longer the companies themselves that are in control. I would say it's the employees. That's the shift that we've certainly seen for ourselves and also for the companies that we serve.
1: One thing that really fascinates me about marketing is how a marketing campaign in one particular culture can do so well. And then when it's transplanted to a different culture, a different part of the world, it can absolutely fail, which speaks to just our differences. And sometimes the idea of designing inclusively is, like you said, being very closely connected to those communities, understanding value systems and the way people see the world what have you encountered in, you know living in so many places working in so many places and being a marketer how have you seen design of marketing shift from culture to culture
2: Well, I think one of the reasons that I've found success in my career is actually almost flipping that question, because to your point, those differences that you just highlighted are always there. And I think the companies that market to the difference specifically probably lose. But when you market to the emotion, when you market to the need that they have, those are the brands that win and that's where you actually start to find success that's where you start to find power and impact i would say that i've traveled all around the world through parts of africa through parts of south america all over the middle east and europe and the u.s And regardless of where you're from, for example, as a parent, we all want the same things. Our kids to have a great education, our kids to eat healthy, our kids to have more more time with their siblings and their families, our kids to not suffer. And that's the through line. And I use that as an example because therefore brands that are serving Anyone within, say, the family dynamic, as long as you're serving the emotional need that you have, then that's when there's real impact. That's what I found as being so consistent is serving for joy, serving for convenience, serving for the critical need that they have. And it's actually more consistent than you would imagine. Sometimes the expression of that would vary you know, making sure that you're doing that in a thoughtful way, not necessarily just looking to sort of hit your growth target. Although if you do it this way, you do end up hitting your growth targets.
0: So we already touched on the, the fact that design is becoming more understood through the organization, that its impact is being recognized, but possibly with that becomes a, a danger of design being commoditized to some degree. What do you think about that and sort of the risks and benefits for both designers and marketers for this potential commoditization of design?
2: That's I I feel like we could have a whole other podcast just on that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's interesting because I do see design being commoditized in the same way, for example, that content is. But I think that that's a good thing, provided that you continue to have companies for example like Ideo that can maintain i would say the quality that can maintain the fluency the gravitas and also we ourselves have to make sure that we continue to sort of grow in terms of kind of meeting the outer edge and pushing ourselves to the outer edge of innovation and design so i think there's a place for both we're we're seeing that right in content everyone thought oh you know companies that do content are gonna go out of business now that that's been commoditized, that that's been democratized even, but it's not. It's just created a greater space because there's greater demand. I think it's safe for us to say seeing the success, I would say of many tech brands in terms of them racing to design more products. I think it's safe to say that there will always be a space for I would say, commoditized design and for design to sort of maintain a high level, if you will.
1: I want to rewind a bit to uh, what you were saying about design and its connection to communities, because I think there's something really interesting there. You've said that innovation often happens with products, but products can actually create innovation inside of communities. Could you talk to us about that? Like, How do you think about that and what are some examples of how communities can be innovated by a product?
2: Well, I think when you co create a product with the community, then this is where you again start to see impact. And in some ways, this is where you might start to see commoditized design because of this notion of co creation. But I think that that's what's important, you know, sort of creating products in kind of a vacuum and doing it in an insular way is not the way forward. The way forward is actually designing for and with community. And thankfully with digital, we can now do that together. So I think there's real power in actually bringing communities into that co-creation. We're seeing the height of that right? right now coming out of the pandemic. You're seeing things that people would have never thought of before, but it's been by design, but by demand of communities, not necessarily because it was planned for, you know, as part of a 10-year evolution of their product. It was because it was designed for, based on a need of a community.
1: Are there any concrete examples that come to mind for you or something you've seen and been kind of impressed with how it's uh, played out in a community?
2: Well, I would certainly say, this is an example, you take fast fashion right now. I would say at the moment we have communities which are demanding companies to be more responsible and thoughtful of our planet. And therefore, you have a brand, for example, like H&M, who has completely created different packaging now, which is more sustainable. And that again, was meeting the need of their community, but also making sure that it was absolutely in line with their purpose and their responsibility that they feel they have for the planet. I think that's a great example. And also an example that we're proud of. We've done some work with H&M. And also, I think the H&M Sustainability Project just won an award for the Basco Innovation Award a couple weeks ago. So that's an example that's top of mind.
0: Dietria, what's uh, inspiring you right now? Are there any books or movies, podcasts, anything along those lines that you're finding real inspiration from at the moment?
2: I am most inspired at the moment just being in nature. I think we've all been Kind of locked up and locked inside. And I'm finding real healing being outside and being with people. I'm actually a bit of an introvert. And I find myself now talking to more people, talking to more strangers and saying hello. And, you know, whether that's through a park. And those are just things that I think, you know, we weren't necessarily trained to do in our busy lives. But I think after not having that for so long and being locked up, There's real power and just being out in nature, being close to people. It's really important.
1: Absolutely. Dietria, where can people learn more about you and what you're up to?
2: Well, we're so excited. We actually just launched a new podcast called IDEO's The Big Question. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google. You can go to IDEO.com slash the big question. You'll find it there. And uh, I'd love to actually have you on the show. We ask some of the biggest questions right now in the world so that we can hopefully all take a brave new step forward in listening to some of the most prolific leaders in the world sort of answer these questions.
1: Well, Dietria, thank you so much for being on the show.
2: I really appreciate it. Thank you so much.